0: British Bank Awards are just around the corner. Voting for 2021 is now open, so it's time to have your say and decide who will be crowned a winner at the Oscars of the Banking World. 11FS has been nominated for Consultancy of the Year and Pioneer of the Year. If you'd like to vote for us, just head to bit.ly forward slash British Bank Awards 2021.
1: From 11FS, this is Fintech Insider News. Today we bring you open banking benefits all round as Atom team up with Plaid and Fronted launch to offer rental deposits. A big week for Monzo, 5 million customers and a campaign for universal gambling blocks and Marketa files for an IPO at a $10 billion valuation. All this and much, much more on today's show. Welcome to episode 504 of Fintech Insider. I'm Simon Taylor, and today I'm joined by my colleague and co-host, the one and only Mel Stringer, lead product manager at 11FS. How are you doing, Mel?
2: Very well, thank you. Really excited about this show. We've got some amazing guests.
1: Yeah, I mean, one of them's called Jamie, but other than that, we're all right now. (laughs) Speaking of the devil, uh, Jamie Campbell, CEO and co-founder of Fronted. Welcome back to the show, sir. Big week for you and your team, which we'll discuss shortly. How are you doing?
3: I'm very tired, Obviously, but I think I'm I'm very good. Yeah, it's been a it's been a very good
1: week. Well done, guys. Um, and making a fintech insider debut, we have Tom Rennick, business banking proposition manager over at AtomBank. Bank. Welcome to the show. Big week for you guys. Thanks for joining us. How are you doing?
4: Thank you for having me. I go easy on me.
1: So uh, yeah, we'll we'll do we'll do what we can. We'll do what we can. And last but by no means least is of course Jonas Tempelstein, who is CTO and founder of Monzo, co-founder of Monzo. Sorry. Uh, huge week for you guys as well. Welcome back to the show. Uh, Thank you very much. Good to be here. Thank you guys so, so much. So let's jump right in, shall we? The first story is Atom signing an open banking deal with Plaid. Um, So Atom Bank signed its deal with Plaid to introduce open banking and payment initiation services to small business customers. The first iteration will begin with offering business owners a streamlined loan application journey and speedier decisions. Initially, Plaid will be working with Atom as part of the bank's secured business lending process for underwriting both c-bills and non-c-bills applications which is the uh, kind of uk government scheme for lending around the coronavirus Uh, okay the app only bank will be using plaid's payment initiation services to streamline fee payments and open banking capabilities will eventually be rolled out to underpin new direct to market smart savings and lending propositions tom Got to come to you first on this one. Tell us more about it. How did it come about, Um, and what problem were you trying to solve for customers?
4: Lots of questions. Um, Which one first? Um, Let's about the problem first. Um, So I think ultimately we're trying to solve for a few problems, and I'll start with a a bank problem first. Um, It's probably one that I think Jamie will recognise as well. You've got seventy five percent, roughly, of small businesses go to their primary business current account provider first when looking for a loan, and when you speak to them, there's a few factors at play here. So I think firstly, there's the belief that their provider possesses a greater understanding somehow of their financial history. And and secondly, there's this perceived um, time and effort, often it's realized time and effort, of applying elsewhere. And I think when you look at small business lending, some of the data asymmetries are particularly acute between lenders and would-be borrowers. And if we think about uh, traditional bank ownership, and I hate that word, ownership of data, um, but it's previously definitely given um, traditional banks a competitive advantage in terms of pricing and risk growing. Um, you know, historically, an existing current account provider would better observe income, cash flows, uh, existing loan performance than exist, than other potential lenders. So we're looking you know, in, in partnership with Plaid and a couple of others, which we're going to announce in the next couple of weeks, um, to enable uh, some faster and better credit decisions. You know, if we start to kind of mine real-time uh, transactional data, to look at uh, income, affordability, identify any kind of risk indicators. It it also starts to mitigate um, some of the outdated risks with with lagging data, which is particularly pertinent right now in in COVID times. But for the customer, I think Atom, um, and it goes reaches reach the heart of what we're trying to do with the BCR award, is looking at reimagining the provision of lending. So moving away from um, a product push towards more contextualized, personalized lending. What that means is offering responsible, informed solutions at the right time. But we think you need to earn the right to access that data. Uh, There needs to be a fair value exchange with the customer. So we're looking at building financial health and real-time cash flow margin tools to help small businesses, um, most their finances, and anticipate shortfalls. So it's really about moving from product push to partnership. Um, And that's a kind of vision in partnership whereby Plaid is really at the core of that.
1: Mm. Uh, Interesting mix. And I think I can really see how um, the perception of consumers can be really shifted by open banking. Um, Jonas, I know you're looking at the business sector yourself. How much of that problem space really sounds true for you? And, and what are your thoughts on this one?
5: Um, I think it's just great to see, to be honest. I think with open banking, it is kind of this thing where, um, you know, five years ago, we all got super excited, you know, including on this show. And then, um, you know, people tend to overestimate, I think, the the impact these kinds of things can have in the short term, but underestimate it in the long term. And I probably I fell squarely into that category. So now seeing all the things we spoke about five years ago come true—that actually, yes, you can you can do credit decisioning um, based on open banking. You know, um, we've got a few other subjects later on um, where open banking has significantly um, made things easier. Um, and so uh, I'm I'm just genuinely excited because uh, sort of there was this like valley of sorrow about three years after open banking kicked off, where I was like, oh my gosh. It's, you know, it's, it's not coming together how, how I'd hoped. But now I think this is proof that things are going the right way. And it's
1: really good. I love the Valley of Sorrow, which is, sounds like a Metallica album or something, but it's uh, very different to the trough of disillusionment. But I know exactly what you mean, Jonas. <laughs> that's what <I'm>, that's, exactly <laughs> that's the it. one you were going through. Look, you're not a consultant. It's fine. We're, we're good with that. You don't know have to. But, uh, but I like that. Jamie, what are your thoughts? I know um, the open banking space is near and dear to your heart as well, given, given uh, what you've done in the past.
3: Yeah, I I'm, you know, I'm a big a big fan of of open banking, you know, whether it's on the retail side or or business um or helping small business side. I think what for me is the most interesting thing is, you know, where do you draw the line as a bank, especially when it comes to small businesses as well because I think arguably they require more more help with their with their financials. Um a lot of banks just draw the line at showing people's transactions back to them and giving them a, a way to, to pay for services. And to a greater or lesser degree, the UX can be nicer or very terrible in some cases that we've seen. But actually starting to make that, you know, take that step into Assisting with cash flow use and, and using data services and presenting data in a way that's more beneficial to businesses beyond the fact that you're just kind of showing them a, a, a long receipt, essentially, of things that they've spent their money on. I think that, for me, is the interesting part here. And open banking gives businesses like Atom the ability to offer that service in a way you know that they couldn't before with customers who aren't banked with them necessarily you know that they can port their data into that experience get the benefit and for atom obviously the payoff is great experience personalized credit and lending at a point that makes a real difference uh, and obviously using the uh, the civil um, scheme as well is, is you know, a, 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 it's a great way to action that money from the government.
1: Yeah, it makes a ton of sense, doesn't it, Jimmy? And, and Siebel's for our US listeners is is our equivalent to PPP. It's it's kind of uh, making sure small businesses are getting lending at a time that they really need it. Um, Mel, how, how much um, do you think that this is going to be adopted? Do you still think there's a psychology thing there for the SMBs that there's a perceived difference, I think, as Tom pointed out?
2: Yeah, I think so. But I think attitudes are changing quite a bit. And um, I really like Jamie's point, actually, about Atom being able to potentially offer lending products to SMBs that are maybe not part of their current customer base. And I think this pandemic has really accelerated the openness um, and open mindedness, really, of SMB founders, because there's more, I guess, adoption of wanting to have online cash flow tools, more interest in more rigor in terms of cash flow and affordability and uh, runway. So I think, you know, open banking and sharing information is a natural extension of that. And we'll definitely see more and more of it as the market adapts.
3: Yeah, I think small businesses as well are relatively happy sharing banking data, like if you have an accountant or you have someone who's, you know, who's a a finance professional, who's kind of auditing your, your business, you're, you're kind of doing it anyway. And, you know, it might go through uh, zero or it might go through, you know, another one of these things, but like the behavioral side, which arguably retail customers are kind of just coming around to and, you know, and starting to become more and more comfortable with. The business customers have kind of been doing it in a slightly different way, but they've kind of been doing it for a while, you know, And and I, and I think when you start building the bigger value propositions at the other side of it, it's because, okay, you share the data. What does that actually enable you to do? That's you know, I think that's the, the the thing that Atom's done. That's that's decent.
1: It's the carrot, not the stick. It's not just share your data and you can see it somewhere else. It's share your data and you'll get a more personalized learn that's more specific to your needs, and you can model that as part of your cash flow. Uh, Tom, you mentioned cash flow there as well. Talk to me about why that's important for for an SMB and 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 kind of how it helps.
4: Cash flow is king, right? Um, but I think you know for, for small businesses and for banks alike, cash—you know—predicting and forecasting cash flow is difficult. And um, I think you know, whilst the kind of the industry is getting better, I think you know we're also looking at deriving cash flow of forecasts from management accounts. Um, so we're working with the guys at Codat. Um, you shout out to them if they're listening. Uh, doing some really exciting kind of stuff there. But I, I think. You know, one of the reasons perhaps we haven't seen such a large push for open banking SMEs, and I think quite a lot of saturation in the, the personal banking space, is that it's really bloody difficult to build um, business banking propositions, particularly in the data space. You know, in the personal banking, we've got perhaps you know uh, merchant category codes to um, classify transactions. We can use some kind of NLP and fuzzy matching to extract a company name from a transaction um, and use some kind of fuzzy logic to match it with a data dictionary. Over time, the number of unseen entities would decrease. The same just can't be said for business banking. You have the predictable sources of income. You have new kind of identifiers popping up all the time. Um, So it's difficult, but I think we're getting there.
1: the the way you pay and get paid is very different in the smb space as you say the the invoices and the uh, payments rails used and then all of the matching that has to be done on the back of that still a lot of heavy lifting done to make and receive payments by smbs and just track their expenses in an accounting package is surprisingly surprisingly difficult well i'm sure we'll come back to smbs uh shout out to everybody at atom and plant for putting this together um anybody who's trying to make life easier for smbs gets gets our full support so thank you uh thank you for talking us through that. Uh, next story comes from Fenextra and it's been a big week for Monzo. Um, it so... Happens, yeah. uh, hired a new ceo uh carol nielsen um as ts annals taking charge of the full ceo role reached five million customers uh also begun a campaign to uh calling on the uk government to mandate the use of gambling blocks on all uk bank accounts he also teamed up with TrueLair to create an open banking powered um uh, gambling block as well so like Talk me through this one, Jonas. There's a lot going on. Um, yeah. Let's start with Let's start with the gambling block. Um, what, why do you think now's the right time um, to act on this?
5: Um, well, the the government is carrying out anyway a review of some gambling legislation, so now feels like the right time. I think in general, over the last few years, we've seen a shift in the industry and an emphasis on um, this particular customer need, and so it felt like the right time to um, make make the voices of our customers um, heard and and all the signatories of the petition.
1: And talk me through how the gambling block works as well for anybody that hasn't used it or isn't familiar yeah,
5: with it. Yeah, so about two 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 and a half years ago, we launched a feature called the gambling block. And the way it works and the way all the gambling blocks that have been launched since work is for MasterCard or Visa transactions based on the merchant category code that is associated with each merchant in the system, we can identify gambling transactions. And then we worked with charities um, at the time to come up with a way where people can lock themselves out of gambling um, and and you sort of say, um, I would like to uh, not do any more gambling transactions. Then it's turned off. Those transactions get blocked. And then you can turn it back on. However, that doesn't become effective immediately. So the customer has full control, but they still have to wait a little while. And they also have to speak to a human and uh, and say, hey, um, I want to do this. Um, And uh, they might be reminded of why they originally turned it on. And it was a really, really popular feature. Um, To this day, I think we have uh, um, 280,000-ish customers who've turned it on. And crucially, only 10% of them have turned it off afterwards. And on a daily basis, we block some 20,000 MasterCard transactions with it. But the, the challenge that we have with it is that MasterCard and Visa aren't the only rails to get money into into gambling sites. So you can make just normal bank transfers, uh, faster payments under the hood to gambling sites with open banking. Um, uh, there's even more smooth flows now where from the gambling app, you might just say, hey, I, I have a account with this bank. And with one tap, the bank app opens up, you confirm the payment and, and under the hood, it happens again. And so really what we're trying to do with this petition now is a couple of things. So one is we would like to mandate or we'd like the government to mandate that all banks that haven't yet implemented a feature like that implemented. And then secondly, we would like the government to mandate for the gambling firms that they put their account information that is used for non-card payments into a central registry so that then uh, banks gambling blocks can connect to that and can say either in open banking payments or in just payments that are initiated from a normal uh, bank transfer, the bank can then consider whether this is going to a gambling site.
1: Mm, it's, it's, it's interesting that, as you say, some UK banks did follow the lead of Monzo and very quickly add the gambling block themselves. And um, now it's time for, for probably everybody to get on with it. But Mel, it's it's easier said than done for some of the banks. Like the, They may want to do it. In fact, probably most of their employees and staff want to, but it, it's a case of can they do it?
2: Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, reading um, in between what Jonas is saying there, it seems like the ball is almost in the gambling uh, company's court as well in terms of airing their banking details. So it's yeah, really interesting to me, actually, that we are kind of progressing with open banking and things are getting easier these days. But actually, the very thing that um, has been, I guess, challenging. Uh, historically, um, using credit cards to, you know, fund gaming and gambling sites, um, Visa and MasterCard are kind of able to protect customers to an extent because of the information that is conveyed. So yeah, that, I mean, that's really interesting to me. But I was thinking, you know, when you create a new transaction within your um, your online bank, there, there are some banks that are fairly able to screen the types of companies or the types of um, company names um, and give you alerts and, and so forth. But yeah, there's no sort of um, parental con- control, so to speak, that you can switch on in that way. So I think that this, uh, yeah, th- this partnership with TrueLayer potentially is a um, is, is really exciting. I'd love to hear more about the plan there and the mechanics of how that would work.
5: Yeah, I can I can go into that. So this week, um, one of one of the um, good things of many uh, that happened this week. It was, by the way, it was also Monzo's sixth birthday, so we had a, a big celebration. Um, and uh, and the the CMA also for the second time um, appointed us to be the uh, best bank for online and and um, uh, mobile banking customer service. It was like. Uh, Yeah, it
1: it was was, (laughs) like you had no good news for about 18 months and then all of the good news in a week. I wouldn't say I wouldn't (laughs)
5: say no good news, but, you know, to a certain extent, it is true. I have this thing where as the company grows, this is a tangent, but I'll I'll go on it anyway. As, As the company grows, I increasingly become aware that an effective way to lead is with narratives. And um, and so what I'm calling this period now, and I hope it sticks, um, I've been bothering everybody internally with it, is renaissance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so we've had previous meme periods uh, over the years, like the summer of Monzo and and, and so on and so forth. This is now renaissance because 2020 has been uh, challenging for, for a lot of people individually and a lot of companies uh, for sure. And so it's it's really nice to come out the gate in 2021. With a week like that, but anyway, back, back to the back to the point on the TrueLayer um, gambling block. So, so uh, you know, with open banking through TrueLayer, what a bunch of gambling companies have done is just given people an even easier way to uh, pay by bank transfer, um, and uh, that is good because then we can work with uh, TrueLayer and and with other partners um, that provide these open banking um, mechanics uh, to the gambling sites. Um, to uh, separately communicate whether or not this is this is a gambling merchant or not a gambling merchant in a way that we wouldn't know if we just looked at the account number and sort code. Um, and what's really powerful about that as well is that it um, this was built like the original gambling block in something we call Monzo time. So it was, you know, people are empowered one day a month to work on things that they think will most help our customers. And because Trulia has been amazing in this collaboration, we were able to put this together quite quickly. They are the largest Open banking payments provider in the UK. So it captures a fair amount of those um, payments, but you can still pay gambling sites with normal, faster payments initiated from your banking app that wouldn't be caught by that. And also, there's obviously open banking payments not going through TrueLayer that also wouldn't be
1: caught. There's lots of moles to whack by the sounds of it. Um, Jamie, what are your thoughts?
3: I like the idea of a registry of account numbers linked to different categories of firms. I think there's obvious there's the obvious example I think it was mentioned in in one of the points that you uh the Monzo had kind of brought to um whether it was the government or just brought to more people's attention was just the idea of publishing these account details i you know part of me thinks that there is an opportunity to make that broader than just gambling sites, you know like who like having a ledger of beneficiary owners of accounts you know as a piece of consumer protection I think is actually. You know, it, I think is actually a good thing. Um, Fraud, you know, money
1: laundering, all kinds of stuff. There's, there's yeah, in, there, our, yeah there's-
3: in our in our corner of the universe, you know, in the, in the rental space, you know, when you're sending your money to a to an agent or or a landlord, all it takes is one you know one bad actor to supply a different account number and uh, and and sort code, and suddenly that's you know they've jumped off with money. But like. Having something that kind of that ledger, I you know I find that a really fascinating um, concept. Which was the thing that you know I understand the 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 work with with TrueLayer and, and the open banking work, and you know it is amazing stuff. But I think that the more interesting idea, or the or the you know something which is a little bit more sociologically impactful, would be this kind of ledger.
5: I think that's super. Interesting. I hadn't really thought about it um, uh, uh, that far, but you know, like even if you look at certain categories of push payment fraud, where people think they're actually paying a company, for instance, for a rental yeah, deposit exactly. or for like solicitors' fees or whatever, you know, just the fact that that would then not be listed in that registry could um, allow us to flag it to the user and say, "Wait a minute, are you sure about this?"
3: Um, yeah, and I'm sure there are very common, you know, occasions where this happens more often than others. Um, you know, and and for that to be included in this kind of thing would feel quite cool Um, and broader than uh, gambling, but more, you know, just as useful across the categories.
1: Uh, Jamie, I think that just happened. That was just an amazing thing that just happened. So if anybody's listening anywhere, like hook us up, let's make this happen. I think that sounds like a great (laughs) idea. Um, (laughs) Tom, any closing thoughts before we move to to the ad break?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think the FCA at a minimum should be recommending that every new debit and credit card is designed with consumer spending controls and, uh yeah, you know, for, for gambling protections. Um Jonas might tell me that I'm talking rubbish, but this isn't a difficult feature to implement. Um, and it's so, so bewildering, really, that so many issues are behind the curve. Uh, uh,
1: yeah, it depends who for. Um, is, I, having seen inside lots of large banks, some of them have done this extremely well. Um, I mean, shout out to the Barclays and the Lloyds and I think a few others who've implemented this feature. Um, and, you know, it takes a bit more work with with legacy tech and, and, and all of that kind of stuff. But they, the intent was there and they've done it. But I think it is it is for some, it might be a little bit harder. But also it's about intent, like how important is getting this there for your customers versus the other imperatives that a business has. Well, on that basis, we will take a quick pause here while we hear from our sponsors.
0: This episode is brought to you by Jack Henry Digital, the pioneers of personal digital banking. They are reviving the vision of financial institutions being on a first-name basis with customers by offering a platform for personal, human-centered service that puts the customer first. Your customers experience immediate accessibility while your employees get cloud-based, core-connected tools to offer service at the moment of need. To learn more, explore the team's latest insights at jackhenrydigital.com.
1: Thank you so much to our sponsors. Okay, next story is coming to us from TechCrunch and it's about this company called Fronted who are offering loans to cover rent deposits. Fronted is a fintech aiming to make life easier for renters, including lending the cash needed for the deposit. Uh, Backed by Passion Capital, Fronted is using open banking and other financial technology to offer a credit product designed to finance deposits directly. Fronted can lend more cheaply than existing options such as credit cards, payday lenders, and overdrafts or insurance-backed membership schemes and, crucially, at lower risk. To apply, of course, you have to be a UK citizen, have a bank account with more than six months of transaction data, um, and then you're asked to securely link your bank account via the fronted open banking service uh, to assess your affordability and beyond, way beyond a simple credit score. Uh, in March, you took the decision to hibernate uh, the nascent business after the first lockdown pandemic taking hold, but now with regulatory approval, you're really opening up. So, Jamie great to have you back uh congrats on the launch um tell us more tell us the origin story the problem you're trying to solve and uh what happened next
3: yeah, well the origin was my girlfriend was trying to leave a uh her, her old house. Uh, her and her landlord was being a bit of a, a bit a bit dodgy. So um, you know, he ended up putting the, the apartment on the market to sell and her and her housemates just didn't have a deposit saved up. Um and I instinctively thought FinTech has probably solved this problem before because, you know, with open banking, with kind of novel lending solutions that I'd seen. I just assumed that this, this product existed. And I looked everywhere and couldn't find anything that was kind of specifically targeting this occasion. And it's a really interesting one because, you know, on the on the surface, it's, you know, it's consumer lending. But when you dig a bit deeper and you, you know, and you understand a little bit more about the property infrastructure that the UK has and some of the technology infrastructure that, that the UK has, it becomes a really interesting occasion. You know, deposits that are paid sit in a deposit protection scheme for the term, of a, um, of a rental period. So they're essentially held in, in escrow. And if you're the payer of a deposit, you're listed on the certificate of protection um, as a relevant party, which gives you, you know, second lien rights over that money as it flows out of the scheme after the landlord. So you kind of have this like pseudo semi-secured um, structure to your loans product. And the fact that it's an amortizing product, so people are paying us back every month, and it, you know, the the term of these loans are twelve months. Halfway through the repayment of this loan, you know, we have let's just say five hundred pounds of a thousand pound loan, but we also have claim over the 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 money that's in the scheme as well. So it's sort of over collateralized midway through the repayment of the loan. So it's just a really really fascinating loans product, but crucially, it solves a huge customer problem, which is that 60% of renters in the UK don't have uh, savings to move. And, you know, now after lockdown, I mean, who, has anyone here spoken to anyone in the past year who hasn't told them how badly they want to move? Um, you know, you either live in London and you're desperate to leave, or you live in London and you're desperate to get a garden, um, or you hate your housemates and you need to move out because they're driving you insane, or you live alone and you want to move in with someone. Like everyone now has a bigger reason and a, and a seemingly, um, you know, a, a more kind of time-sensitive reason to move. But renters' income has been the most impacted by the pandemic. Most likely to be furloughed. Most likely to have a job that they can't do from home. And so we've seen the, the demand over the last couple of months grow and grow. And luckily, or, you know, kind of hope, you know, th- thankfully, when we took the decision to hibernate the business, you know, way back in April of, of last year, you know, we did it because we thought people are going to want this and need this after the pandemic. And, you know, thankfully, the, the demand has, um, or the, you know, the, the way the market's working right now has proved that that was the right call. And, um, and, and you know, it's, it's starting to pay dividends now
1: the finance nerd in me loves the fact that you found a way over time to move from something that felt unsecured to actually more secured. And the customer nerd in me loves that you've solved a real problem at at an important time. So um, shout out to you guys for doing that. Um, Mel, what are your thoughts when you look at this?
2: I love it. I think it's amazing. Um, I remember when I first moved to London, um, I'd finished my degree and I had to sofa surf with my friend for like six, maybe six to eight weeks. Um, He was incredibly kind and um, yeah, let me completely (laughs) take the mick basically until I'd got two paychecks under my belt and I could finally move. But you know, it's, not least, um, I guess, the pride aspect, but a lot of people don't want to just go home and live with their parents or, you know, perhaps you don't even have that um, luxury that you can go home and save money so that you can have a a fresh start. And the sort of bridging period between uh, moving out of one place and getting your deposit back and then having to put your deposit into a new place, that's uh, you know, a huge expense for for many people, especially if you've got other financial obligations. So I think this product really allows people to um, perhaps relocate for work or to enjoy their lives better. Um, just gives them more freedom and flexibility, really. And I love the fact that you take other things into account rather than just uh, your you know basic credit rating, because of course a, a traditional credit rating doesn't even take into account whether you've been reliable in paying your rent previously.
1: Exactly. And and I think that sort of period between I haven't got my old deposit back and I need to pay another one, I have no savings and I may have been most impacted by the pandemic really comes together. Uh, Tom, what are your thoughts?
4: Yeah, I mean, I I think what's exciting for me is that, you know, fronted and, you know, earth index like uh, perhaps more like an updraft, you know, this probably wouldn't be possible before the advent of open banking. You're going back to that kind of information asymmetry between borrowers and lenders. Instead, you'd have had consumers, you know, paying for deposit with a credit card or an overdraft. I think, you know, what's really cool as well is that, you know, I think you're starting to see that improved access to customer data might lead to unbundling of of products that have been typically sold together, such as overdrafts and current accounts, you know, which could upend uh, the economics of that. Um, But yeah, anything that provides a better price line of credit and replace long term overdraft uses is a thumbs up for me.
3: Yeah, I think one of the one of the things I was I was going to say was you know, we really early identified that this bridging occasion was going to be quite crucial to the success of the product. So, you know, we didn't want to penalise people for who wanted to bridge, so you know we structured the loan to, so it had no early repayment fees. So you know you could you can take out this loan, bridge um, bridge into your next place, you know, and pay it off with, with no kind of like significant impact to you know to your finance or penalising people for, for doing that. So yeah, it's good. thanks for thanks for bringing it up because we're really we're really happy with with how with um, you know with, with with that as a as a use case that people are coming to us for.
1: It, it's. It's. You've managed. You've found another way to manage the risk. Um. And you're also not penalising people for doing something that is lower risk. And therefore, you can kind of report that back, which sounds weirdly customer centric. I don't know. It's kind of kind of a nuts idea. Um. Jonas, I want to give you th- um a couple of seconds on this before we move to the next one.
5: I just think it's brilliant. Um. You know, a couple of reasons. One. One's already all been touched on. I. I think. It just perfectly uh, combines the user need with actually a better way to do lending in a way that where it is surprising that it hasn't been done. Um, and and the other thing is one of the one of the best secondary effects that always um, I was hoping Monzo would have and, and a company like Monzo can have on the on a industry is. Um, uh, you know, what do the people that, that work there go on and do? And, and Simon, um, who's who's one of Jamie's co-founders, has been at Monzo literally from day one and has been absolutely instrumental in literally everything we've done. And now, I, I hate seeing I hate seeing people go, but also it makes me really happy to see all of the different companies that are now coming out and being founded successfully, and um, uh, yeah, just building out that uh, industry in London. It's really amazing to see. Um there's also another connection by the way i i i I followed Danny on twitter who was a customer who used the gambling block to overcome his gambling addiction who tweeted yesterday that he used fronted to move house as well
3: that's true yeah it's true yeah so yeah he was uh he was one of the first customers who came through and i think midway through his onboarding um we realized you know who it, who who it was and um yeah, he then tweeted us after after he got a deposit paid and is now moving into his new home, but he I can is tell a, you
5: he'll be a top advocate.
3: <laughs> he uh, yeah, he was the he was one of Monzo's kind of early. I think he was one of the early spokespeople for why the gambling block was going to be super important. So, um, you know, yeah, it's that is a weird coincidence actually. Now that you mention it, I hadn't really thought of it. <laughs>
1: But it's all these little idiosyncrasies that actually a human story sometimes really makes something make sense. And actually somebody needed the gambling block and didn't realize they needed it. And it's made a real difference to their life and needed to move house and didn't know there wasn't a type of lending that really made sense to them and there's something about positioning and targeting that audience which i think just going after them and, and intentionally trying to solve that problem but then really thinking about that problem and trying to solve it in interesting ways so shout out to everybody involved let's hope we see um lots of other people follow suit uh, around the world as well um okay coming up to the next story this is uh from reuters Marquetta has filed for an ipo pension b plans to give uh, go for an ipo um, and there's a ton of uh, fintechs going, uh, f- taking the SPAC route to go public. So let, bear with me whilst I blast through these. On Tuesday, Marketa filed for for its IPO. They'll await feedback from the SEC, but it's hoping for April. Um, they're eyeing a valuation of around 10 billion and working with Goldman and JP Morgan to arrange it. Meanwhile, Pension B, um, which has over 1.2 billion pounds or 1. 5-ish billion US under administration from 65,000 customers is looking to IPO and it's also going to use uh, its open API to connect interested customers accounts to the platform primary bid which it's using to give its customers first uh, access to its IPO which I think is really really different and really really cool Um, you don't see uh, a lot of that once things go to IPO so shout out to those guys I know we've seen crowdfunding before but we haven't seen things hit IPO and then Back in the US, Moneylion is teaming up with a SPAC to help it go public. Um, And um, the special purpose vehicles have become really popular in recent months for US fintech firms looking to go public. Payoneer, SoFi and Build Trust are also taking that route. Um, Mel, as we sit back and look at this, what on earth is going on with fintech right now?
2: I know. It's amazing. Um, I really think that the, well, I just think society is taking greater interest and um, ownership so put personal alliance with different brands and more interest in the the companies that they ally themselves with. So I think that's maybe an element of it, I guess. Um, my favorite story out of those are probably Pension B. Um, and I think that the idea that they're involving primary bid and giving their customers sort of first dibs is really interesting um, and sort of speaks to this community that they've built Um and you know engenders more trust, I would say. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm an investor with uh, Pension B as well, and I, I think that um, I'll probably be quite interested.
3: It's so good. It's it's like straight out of the fintech growth hacking crowdfunding community supporting playbook. You know, I think um, I think there's a, I, I can I can think of a number of companies. I think think UK fintech companies that have used kind of crowdfunding, but like providing the crowdfunding through their own product as opposed to like hosting it on the crowdfunding platform to drive engagement um it's just it's just clever it's just a really neat thing and you know the team at pension b i think they're maybe 5 years old as well i think maybe um it's just yeah it's it's great and i think you know they're kind of it's good to see a fintech company like pension b getting to IPO stage because I I I see Pension B and I think, oh, their Monzo, you know, cohort, their like Bud cohort in terms of the timing of like when they, uh, when they, when they kind of got kicked off. And that's how I kind of see it in my mind. And it's just great to see those like you know first wave you know, consumer fintechs getting to that stage and doing it successfully and and also doing it in a way that's really um, really different. I think it gives, you know, it, it sets a really good example for um, for, uh, for for everyone else in the in the space.
1: Yeah, this this I think there's two separate points there. I love that first one about creating engagement by giving your customers something that non-customers wouldn't get or the market wouldn't get or wall street wouldn't get the city wouldn't get uh, there's something really powerful there in terms of it's not just marketing it feels like the right thing to do but it's also good for business like that that's a, a real interesting growth hack that i think is just so anathema to trying to look at your business purely on a spreadsheet it's the kind of thing that almost makes no sense on a spreadsheet but makes complete sense when you do it um, and and those are almost my favorite growth hacks uh, and then the second thing. I mean, Jonas. Uh, it feels like fintech is the hottest thing in tech. Period. Like all of the main VCs um, seem to be talking about it. It's 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 the darling of of um, the the tech sector right now. What, what do you think that's for? Is it is it the consumer shift? Is it the the pandemic? What's what's really driving that?
5: It's a good question. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm uh, I think far from an expert on on any of these things. Uh, um i i think the there's a there's a there's an old essay um that i really like um uh called software is eating the world um uh where uh, i i think it's mark andreessen who, who wrote you know that there's sort of a certain way of approaching approaching um uh, the development of digital products that um generally when it takes hold in an industry it 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 tends to lead to, to sort of rapid expansion and uh, you know it, it can be boiled down to all of these things that books have been written about how Amazon did it or how Google did it in, in terms of uh, you know making something that re- customers really want being extremely customer focused um, hiring the best people and empowering them and, and all those those kinds of things uh, and um, I think I think it always takes a little while longer for things like that to arrive in uh, more regulated spaces and I, I think that is for very good reasons. Because, um, you know, I think everybody on this call will, will appreciate the responsibility they have um, towards people's finances and having a part in that. Um, but I, I do think what we're seeing now is some some of these approaches, uh, you know, having having been battle tested, whether it's organizationally or or um, in, in terms of IT infrastructure or approach to development and so on, finally take, taking hold in, in the finance sector. So that will be my best guess um, for why that is picking up.
1: I think it's a pretty good guess. Um the, the Tom, I'm interested in your views. I certainly remember working inside of a large bank when the first wave of fintech was really coming along and, and a lot of bankers saying, Oh, well we could do that. It's just a card, or we could do that. And and it's like they were looking very much at the financial product, not the way the product was made and how the customer problem was solved. Do you think that it's it's more than the software engineering as well? It's it to what Jonas is saying, it's not just the the tech, it's the, the everything around that.
4: Yeah, absolutely. It's it's you know I think I think what we are seeing, however, is um, you're in a bull market, right? Um, yeah, you know, I think when you look at the kind of uh, kind of spat craze at the moment, which I think a lot of people are turning to to um, mitigate some of the, the volatility of traditional IPOs. Um, you know, I don't have a dog. But I think if I had a dog, I think it could make money in this market. Um, some of the valuations sky high. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Um, but I think yeah, you're you're seeing investors, um, as Jonas says, look to to buy the future. Um, and perhaps um, mitigate some of the risks that they've got in their their current holdings, but it's more about it's about the brand, it's about the customer base, and ultimately it's about about where the business is going and and bang is the vision. I think you're seeing that a lot more in uh, some of the, the tech bets.
1: Mel, can both things be true? Can we be in a bubble and also software is eating the world? Because like we're in a bubble in dot com, or we're in a housing bubble, but you know net net, there's still a lot more Amazon subscriptions and there are sort of uh bookstores so uh, what are your thoughts
2: yeah i think uh it's it's really interesting about the types of companies that choose to um have an ipo and i think that um you know stripe famously is not uh is not looking to ipo despite having really high valuation but it makes me wonder about the you know the other companies that we've um, we've touched on here and i think it might be if they previously have had quite high costs or they have personally you know invested a chunk of money to try and get them to a certain point then ipoing based on um building an amazing brand and so much customer alignment um, and, you know, the right timing in the market as well to to optimize the initial share price, I guess they can recoup some of that cost or all of that cost and then reinvest it for explosive growth thereafter. So I wouldn't say it's a, a bubble with, uh, you know, bad intents. I think all of these companies really want to be agents of the future. It's just... It's a tool to help them get there, and um, you know, Stripe maybe will will change their mind later if the timing is right.
1: Mm, yeah, it'd be interesting. There's definitely been a frenzy for SPACs and IPOs. And maybe if, if there was a time to sell, now's a good time to sell. But we also saw Plaid go the other way, um, where they, they were acquired and they've gone back into uh, maybe looking at what's next. So it's going to be interesting to watch what happens there. Um, Jamie, um, you, you made some really interesting points about the overall space. What do you think about specifically any of the companies named here? Is there anything about um, Marketa, for instance, or, or the money lines that really stood out to you?
3: Uh, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm not going to... I talk about kind of market because I guess, you know, my, you know, my, my knowledge of kind of like FinTech and financial services infrastructure is not, is not great, but I did want to, if we were going to move on from this story um, right now, I was going to try and hold it up because I did want to call out Moneyline specifically before we started or before we started in earnest looking at um, Fronted, Moneyline was a really, a really good example of a business that we looked at as a way of kind of like how can credit really, start to make a positive impact in in consumers lives and um and the money lion product um you know as it was as it was kind of then you know was was so, kind of a bit of an inspiration to 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 us about how they um how they essentially used this really interesting kind of credit service where you could essentially subscribe to your own credit repayment and lower your apr um you know it was just kind of so weird but so great um and it And it just built so much loyalty with their with their customer base and then they launched similar things um you know like a paid get paid two days earlier the similar feature that we've seen in some of the uh, fintechs here but yeah i I wanted to kind of have a little bit of a fanboy moment around around Moneyline um because i i you know i think that's a great business um and i think it has made a genuine like positive impact in their in their customers lives
1: indeed indeed and one of the things i love about um when these companies do go to SPAC is you get all kinds of data about how that business is performing and as a fintech nerd i, I really like to see that stuff because it's it's now coming apparent uh, how the cost of acquisition for each of these customers comes way way down their retention and their daily active use comes way way up compared to benchmarks that you would have seen historically and so the conversation that you can then have with somebody that is looking at the market is there's the, the reason these businesses succeeding uh, are succeeding even is because there are fundamentally changed the economics by the way they've solved some of the problems and the way they've put things together
3: and behaviorally as well you know it's like they've changed the way that particular customer views credit and you know and if they look and, it all, and those kinds of like credit building services you know and it just gets them into the conversation before any other you know lender um you know when when that kind of customer wants to go get into market
1: Fantastic. Well, we're going to move on now as we are getting towards the end of the show. We just wanted to round up with some stories we didn't have time to cover, but still deserve a shout out. Mel, do you want to start us out?
2: Sure, thanks. So the first story is uh, that Goldman Sachs has added an investing feature to Marcus. This is a FinExtra story. Uh, Marcus Invest uh, recommends a portfolio stock and bond EFT based on the customer's risk level and timeline. Users can open an account with as little as $1,000. The bank handles day-to-day management of the money, monitoring the portfolio daily and automatically rebalance the account to keep it aligned with the customer's goal. Unlike Robinhood, users cannot trade individual stocks, but this may change in the future. And the Marcus app already provides savings accounts, personal loans, money management tools um, with a current account set to arrive later this year. Um, So, I think this one's quite interesting. I'm wondering if this is to, um, you know, protect customers to an extent from any, or protect the brand from any association with risky or riskier investments. Um, and there's been a bit of speculation as well about um, actually liquidity and um, whether there might be some sort of structured products in the background um, that's sort of powering this. Um, but yeah, I think it's to re- refrain from becoming a retail investor platform potentially. Over to you, Simon.
1: Interesting to watch. Well, this headline is directly from City AM. Tells you a little bit about where the market is. Apparently, Bitcoin smashed through fifty thousand dollars in its uh, price. Uh, it's been on overdrive in the last few months after languishing between eight thousand dollars and fifteen thousand dollars throughout much of twenty twenty. But since January, Bitcoin has steadily punched through the ceiling to twenty k, twenty five, thirty, forty, and much, much more. Um, and the cryptocurrency seems to have done well out of the global pandemic as investors worldwide are looking for alternatives. Um, to flailing economies, um, and much of the attention has turned to digital assets. And of course, a plethora of big names on social are using uh, their, their names to try and drive and hint at interest in crypto. Elon Musk, notably when Tesla added, uh, I think, uh, more than a billion dollars of Bitcoin to their balance sheet, um, really drove a lot of the price and the hype there. Um, but it's interesting, what, uh, as I look at this, what's different this time? Famous words of a bubble. What's different this time is it's not just retail punters. Actually, it's hedge funds and asset managers and even some pension funds looking at 1% to 2% of their portfolio. It's corporations looking at this space. Didn't, and T-Mobile, maybe it's a hedge. didn't
3: T-Mobile put some money in, in Bitcoin as well? I, I think I read like a big telco in, in Europe put money in Bitcoin as well.
1: I don't know. I'd have to look at that. But I wouldn't be surprised if we saw many more start to look in that direction. Um, As the US is printing dollars, holding cash is probably a bad investment over the short term because if you increase the supply, you decrease the demand and the price goes down. So investors are looking for anywhere where they can store value. and Investors are going risk on and Bitcoin is is benefiting from that. But the story underneath that is, is possibly the more interesting one where the consumer mindset and what the consumer trusts at sort of. 18 years old is fundamentally different to to what it was 20, 30 years ago. Um, And things that look very, very scary to traditional bankers like Bitcoin to a consumer actually look quite a bit more trustworthy than the the big historic banks, especially having grown up during the financial crisis. So I think see this through the lens of the consumer mindset and it really becomes interesting. Uh, Mel, uh, the next one.
2: So internet browser Opera prepares for rolling out its uh, fintech banking service. Um, Opera is moving into financial services with the launch of DeFi, uh, that's spelt D-I-F-Y, but it's pronounced DeFi, an in-browser cashback service and digital wallet for online shopping. Launching first in Spain, the initial version of DeFi ships with a current account, a free virtual debit card issued by MasterCard, as well as a Google Play support for Offline spending. The DeFi app will allow consumers to receive e-commerce cashback for purchases made on partner websites accessed through the Opera browser. A spokesperson said with DeFi, we are making the browser a superior wallet work better together to improve user shopping experience and also make it financially rewarding. The company intends to expand the service across the EU, where it currently claims 50 million active users. Wow, that's a lot. Proceeding the launch, Opera uh, acquired the Estonian Banking as a Service startup. I have to try and say that now. I think it's uh, FOSIS and takeover terms for the buyout of Lithuanian digital bank Fjord Bank. So I think the, well, it's certainly the cashback uh, as you earn is quite a neat, uh, a neat tool. And uh, I like the DeFi wallet that is uh, paired with that. It's kind of, um, yes, it's it's neat. It's a closed loop ecosystem. And they've got some quite hefty brands that have already signed up to this. They've got uh, Sephora, ASOS, Nike that are already partners. And I did hear that they're also looking at other features in the future, like buy now, pay later.
1: Interesting one to watch. Um, kind of uh, reminds me of the browser extension Honey that PayPal acquired yeah. that sort of uh, helps you make little discounts and savings when you get to an e-commerce checkout over the top. It's a, it's a space we haven't seen massive amounts of innovation, in, but um, maybe we'll see more. Already, uh, our oh, And finally, story this week is build your own bank. IKEA acquires a 49% stake in Icano Bank. The furniture retailer is set to acquire this with the aim of offering a full suite of banking services, both in-store and online. The acquisition is described as a decisive step into financial services that will help make IKEA more affordable, accessible, and sustainable. Econo Bank has been operating in the UK since 1994, offering easy access and fixed-rate savings accounts. Uh, IKEA's parent company said it was acquiring the stake through an issue of new shares. Um, well, I knew you could get hot dogs um, and, and some really good tasty food at IKEA, but um, do you want to do your banking there, Tom?
4: <laughs> yeah maybe the only bank which makes you build your chair before you sit down to meet the manager um look i think if you're if you're set in the econo boardroom it probably makes sense um you know partnering with large retailers we, we've seen um the likes of kind of walmart in the u.s introduce a, a very similar scheme um point of sale lending buy now pay later um is all the rage you're gonna get exposed to a much more kind of a larger customer base than they typically would have and it's it's uh, no surprise. I think you know, people in the industry they know that IKEA has been sniffing around for a little while for a attack um, vector into the into the market, and here they are.
1: Hmm, interesting to watch. Uh, Mel, thoughts?
2: So, I mean, I've been looking at some of the reviews of Icaro um, Bank, and I guess it's sort of moderate. They've got a fairly strong Trust Pilot score, um, but I mean. I, I don't know, it's it's sort of odd to me. I would love it if it was one of Will, um, our head of, head of design. I wish it was one of his sort of design exercises. What would a bank look like if it was a Porsche bank or a, an Ikea bank? Ikea. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, I think it totally, totally makes sense. Um, and I think that, you know, Ikea is more than just a, a furniture brand to a lot of people. It's sort of um, aspirational lifestyle, kind of deck your entire house out simplistically in Scandinavia in style with ikea so it makes perfect sense to me
1: Uh, jamie what about you what about the rental world is this this perfect for those guys well i mean for me for
3: me like this just demonstrates you know another another example of um businesses that want to be financial services companies Um, you know the bar is getting so low because the technology is so great you know and the, the businesses are 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 getting even more integrated to the customer journeys that you either buy a piece of it and become a part of it build something your own to you know to to capitalize on it or you just miss out you just miss out on all of it um and yeah i think i can't remember who said it but um yeah if you're in the boardroom of, of ikea and you can see the rise of buy now pay later as a behavioral change not just as a function of finance you know, and you have this great relationship, you know, with, with Acano. I think they've been working together for, for a number of years across, you know, a lot of different countries. It is really the obvious choice. Um, it you just know, makes to, a ton of sense, doesn't exactly. it? You can,
1: they've got their own in-house Klarna effectively. That, and if they can build something like that, that makes a ton of sense. Jonas, final thoughts?
5: Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that'll be it. Um, uh, I, I think, you know, what, what does a merchant need to increase? Basket size, return rate, conversion rate at checkout, all of those things. If you have a really smooth payment experience, uh, you know, including with money that you haven't yet got, I think that that helps. Um, but the margins can be uh, that you get charged at the moment if you go with a third party it can be quite high. So I think it makes sense to closely ally yourself with with one particular bank.
1: Mm, interesting to watch. righty. well that wraps up this week's show. Thank you so much to all of our guests. Where can people find out more about you, Jimmy?
3: Well, you can go to fronted dot rent if you're looking to move rental properties and you don't want to pay that uh, rent deposit up front all in one go. Or you can come find me on Twitter at JC the Original.
1: Thank you so much. Uh what about you, Tom? Uh we, if you
4: can go on uk or uh on Twitter for myself, uh that's Tom ninety one, I believe.
1: <laughs> Jonas?
5: Uh, well, you can, get, you can get a Monzo account. You totally should if you're in, in the UK uh, or get on the US waiting list.
1: And you can find me on Twitter, Jonas. Thank you so much. And Mel?
2: You can find me on LinkedIn, Melissa J. Stringer and um, Twitter sporadically as melissa.forex.
1: Thank you so much. As for me, you can find me at S.Y. Taylor on Twitter or find me Simon Taylor on LinkedIn. And of course, you can find us at 11FS.com. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, remember to subscribe to the podcast. Don't forget to leave us a review. It helps us so much and it helps others find the show as well. Leave those reviews. Do it, do it, do it. Uh, and if you want to join the conversation, uh, find us on social media, um, Fintech Insider or email, podcasts at fscom If you want to bug the producers about things we should be doing that we're not. Thank you very much and goodbye for now. We'll